0: Truth In My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth In My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth In My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men.
1: Hello all. As a reminder, this is a multi-part series. Today, we have Sonia interviewing John. We have been considering the claim of skeptics that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. A standard endorsed by Jesus himself when he told us in John 10.37, I do not do the works of my Father Do not believe me. Anyone making the extraordinary claim that he is sent by God with the only true way to eternal life must provide extraordinary evidence to back up such a claim. Strangely, some Christian apologists try to deny this standard, saying that skeptics wouldn't believe no matter what evidence we offered, but that does not negate our duty to offer such evidence. Others have argued that the evidence we offer need only make our claim more probable, but that is a misuse of probability. Now we continue our discussion.
2: The, the second problem is, how could you ever do that? You can say, well, it's, it's very unlikely that these claims would be made if they didn't happen, but you have to show that that's more unlikely than the unlikelihood of the, the event happening. How do you, how do, you do that? How can you show that? If they're both unlikely, how do you show that the probability of one is lower than the probability of the other? How do you calculate actual numbers? I don't think you can. No, you, you can't. That's the thing. And, and that's the third problem here. And we've, As I said, we've discussed in detail in other series, probability applies to random events such as flipping a coin or rolling a dice. It applies to have a fixed number of possible outcomes and then you divide that number, the number of desired outcomes by the possible outcomes. And that's your probability. It's an actual number. When you flip a coin, you have a one in two chance of getting heads because there's one head and one tail on the coin and equal, equally likely that either one would come up. If you get want two heads in a row, the chance is one in four. Because when you flip a coin twice, there are now four possible outcomes. Head, tail, head, head, tail, head, tail, tail, and only one of those is, is two heads in a row. Uh, same thing, you roll a, a die, and your odds of any one number is one in six. If you roll two die, and the chance of getting two sixes is one six on each of them, it's one in 36. That's how probability works. It deals with actual numbers. It can be used to describe populations, but it cannot... It, it cannot describe discrete events. Uh, the assassination of President Lincoln, for example, what are the odds of that? What's the probability that he was assassinated? That doesn't make any kind of sense to talk about a probability. It's a historical fact that he was. But we could say, oh, well, there'd be like 45 presidents and only you know, this many of them were assassinated at the time of Lincoln. None had ever been assassinated before, so the probability should be zero. But he was
3: yeah, an assassination is not a random event. Yes.
2: how how What's the probability that Caesar crossed the Rubicon? I mean, either he did or he didn't. It's not a matter of probability. So this, this is not the problem. This is You could say, look, most people don't make claims at all about being messenger from God, bringing the message to eternal life. Most people don't make that claim. So you could say it's very unlikely that somebody would make such a claim. On the other hand, you could say that most people who who make such claims are not telling the truth so if you look at how many people make the claims use that to calculate the probability then you say oh well, it's most likely he's telling the truth if you look at only the people who did make the claims you say most likely he's false he's telling an untruth there is no actual numbers probability does not apply in these cases
3: yeah, because for, for a random event, you, you don't have that other factor, of someone using his brain to make a decision to do something.
2: Exactly. Now, the fourth fundamental problem here is that, uh, and this is key, Craig here confuses the method of obtaining the evidence with the contents of the evidence. You're a lawyer. Do you have a comment on that?
3: Okay, so, so by the, the method of the evidence, that, that would be looking at, I, I think that that's uh, what he's talking about when he's he's saying, "How would people have behaved if he hadn't risen?" So if you're looking at the the eyewitness statements and all that, that that's the method of obtaining the evidence. But to the contents of the evidence is what 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 are those witnesses saying? He the fact that he rose from the dead, the miracles—that's the contents of the evidence, and you don't have. That, that those contents with any other claimant.
2: Exactly. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Jesus' claim, so that he's the Son of God, that he's the Savior, that he's the Lord, that he was sent by God with the only way, true way to eternal life, that's the claim. The evidence he gives, the evidence he adduces to support these claims is his fulfillment of ancient prophecies, his working of amazing miracles, and his rising from the dead. Those are certainly extraordinary, are they not? They are. Yeah, so he's given extraordinary evidence for his extraordinary claims. His resurrection is offered as evidence of the claim. It's not the claim itself. Craig's mistake here is looking for evidence for the evidence rather than looking evidence for the claim. The method of obtaining the evidence does not need to be extraordinary. Only the evidence does. So when we're talking about Jesus rising from the dead, that's the extraordinary evidence. The fact that it's conveyed to us by ordinary means, eyewitness testimony, doesn't change the fact that the evidence that's being offered is extraordinary. Craig is making the mistake of, of fighting against the idea that the evidence requires extraordinary evidence. If if it did, you, you'd get into a never-ending, infinite uh, chain there. The method of obtaining the evidence, eyewitness testimony, and this is still the number one in in court cases. Eyewitness testimony—that's that's ordinary. It's what the eyewitness is testifying to that's extraordinary. And, and we'll see how this plays out in more detail later. Uh, but let's now let's listen to another apologist's take on this. And uh, this is the the popular philosopher, Doctor Tim McGrew.
3: Okay, let's hear what he has to say.
4: But there's a not so plausible form of this, which is something that you'll hear in slogan form on the internet. And that is, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Hand in the air if you've heard somebody say that or seen somebody write that. Yep. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. That sounds clever. What does it mean? Seriously. Well, what do you mean by extraordinary evidence? I think this argument or this meme, this slogan, which goes back to Carl Sagan, should be named in his honor. And so I present to you the Argumentum Sagani from the original presenter for Cosmos. Here's how the Argumentum Sagani goes as best I've been able to reconstruct it after reading way too many people arguing on the internet. It goes like this. Premise one, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Premise number two, claim that a miracle has occurred is extraordinary. Therefore, first conclusion, any evidence supporting it ought to be extraordinary as well. Premise four, I'm not sure what I mean by extraordinary. Premise five, but whatever you come up with, it's not going to work. Therefore, six, no one is justified in believing any miracle claim. I have a technical talk that I can do where I actually go further in unpacking the layers of this kind of thing, but honestly, I think this is pretty
2: much all you need to know. What do you think? Is this really all you need to know? Well,
3: this doesn't quite seem to match up. The claim that uh, because because uh, the miracle for for us, the, the the miracle is the evidence. The claim is Jesus is the son of God. The miracle is the evidence showing that Jesus is the son of God. So it seems like he missed a step somehow.
2: Yeah, I, I find this is actually a rather regrettable misrepresentation or straw man. What he what he pointed out is his points four to six. Well, one to three is a common sense principle, I think, as he suggested, he's mixing up the claim and the evidence. When he adds in four to six, nobody says that. Nobody says that in an argument. It's got nothing to do with the claim that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. It's simply an appeal to ridicule, and it's poisoning the well. Okay? The claim that uh, we, if we we're going to believe something extraordinary, uh, we need extraordinary evidence, does not come with the Non-detachable additions that, well, whatever you give me, I'm not going to believe.
3: Maybe you could explain to our listeners what you mean by poisoning the well.
2: Poisoning the well is when you get into a debate about something, you try to prejudice their views before either side actually gives their evidence. So what he's done here, he hasn't actually explained why the, what he calls the argumentum Sagani is wrong, but he's trying to make it look silly. And you can hear the audience giggling in the background. That's poisoning the well. That's not really an acceptable approach for a serious debate. And I'm kind of surprised to see a philosopher go that route. But let's continue. Let's see what else he has to say.
4: Mentum Sagani. Let's, uh, let's do a scientific test case, though. According to one proposed theory in nuclear physics, spontaneous proton decay happens. It's just really, really rare. It's so rare that no instances of it have ever been observed. That's pretty rare. That looks almost like it just doesn't ever happen, right? Because it never has. So, what do scientists interested in this theory do? They set up sensitive detectors in underground water tanks, and they leave them there for decades in an attempt to see whether it actually takes place. Well, that would be an extraordinary claim. The fact that 100% of the protons so far observed have not decayed does not mean that it's impossible for us to accept evidence of such decay. We even try to set up and look for it. Look, what we're asking for here is not some kind of special religious exemption clause from reasoning. We're just asking that there be no double standards. If we're allowed to look for evidence of unprecedented things in physical science, why shouldn't we be allowed to look for evidence of unprecedented things in a religious context?
2: Any Comments?
3: Whoever said that we weren't allowed to look for evidence?
2: Well, nobody said that. I, I'm not sure what he's arguing against here. Or this is another straw man. It's not a double standard because both sides are saying you need evidence to support your view. But it's interesting that he brought up this so called scientific test case to try to make his point. He says there's this theory that there's a spontaneous decay of protons, but it's never been seen 100% of the time. Now, you have to understand how science works here. Uh, Science is based on observation and induction, all of it is based on that. We start out observing, we look at what's happening. And as we look, we try to see things that always happen in the same way, under the same circumstances, and are never violated. Uh, gravity, for example. If I, if I have a pen in my hand, I open my hand, the pen drops. And you know it does because of gravity. That's some good, uh, description of the fact that it will always drop, that masses attract e- each other. But if I take that pen in my hand and I open my hand, it drops. And if I do it again, it drops again. If I do it again, it drops again. If I do it a million times, it will drop a million times. Could I absolutely prove that the million and first time it will drop? No. No, you, you can't absolutely. But we're sure that it will. And it becomes a law. And it's by induction, inductive reasoning. Inductive reasoning. Uh, which is the opposite of deductive, where deductive you go from from the general to the specific. If all elephants are pink and Nellie is an elephant, then Nellie is pink. Induction is the opposite. You go from the specific examples to the general principle.
0: Thank you everyone for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but please join us for the next part. Same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or reach us by email at info at com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you!